Hello, my name is Christine. Welcome to episode three of my podcast, Unmuzzled at 67. So last time I, I spent a lot of time talking about trauma and talking about an experience that had happened to me that had caused trauma. And there was a lot of uh, sort of factual information in that. And this week, I want to get back to um, back to the storytelling, back to some of the some of the stories that were going on in my life at this point. So, if you remember last time, I was talking about an overheard conversation that um, that had it kind of knocked me for six and smashed my world apart. So I just want to continue with that now and, and, and let's move on to what else was going on in my life at that time. So I felt as though a switch had been flicked inside my head after that overheard conversation. And as I said already, this shy, self-conscious choir singing girl became self-willed, rebellious, a self-willed, rebellious teenager who hated her parents. In school, I had no interest in lessons. And I was still dealing with these growing boobs and that nobody else seemed to have. I was still dealing with my periods, which Again, I, I didn't know anybody else who who had periods, so I felt really quite isolated when it came to both of these things. And I I carried these these things around with me every day, terrified that somebody would comment. Uh, so I was kind of always in a state of I'm going to say anxiety, but I don't like that word. But I was always in a state of, I was just in a state of worry, I suppose, um, and kind of if anybody looked at me you know, for a wee bit longer than they should have, I would immediately panic and think, oh my God, they've noticed. So that that kind of thing was going on. But of course, the worst days uh, in secondary school for me were PE days because once a week we were uh, dressed in navy knickers. Yes, that was that was the uniform of choice for doing PE. And you can imagine for somebody uh, who, who, who on weeks when I had my periods would be more than concerned <laughs> that this large sanitary pad, which was all that was available in those days, would might, might be seen by somebody. So um, I wasn't the best bas uh, netball player because I was always too worried about jumping up and my boobs would be uh, moving up and down and they would be noticed perhaps. And uh, this this huge big <laughs> sanitary pad um, and always worried that somebody would see that through the Navy knickers. Um, my mum would never send a note to the school to excuse me for anything, but certainly not for that. She said I just had to go on with it. But these were my Achilles heels. I mean, I have to say that. Um, and I, was, I did live in dread that somebody would bring up the subject to the boobs or the sanity towel. And I would have died if a boy had ever said anything. So life went on and I dumped the church, dumped the goody-goody pals from the church in search of more exciting and unpredictable types the ones who were constantly dogging it. Now, I'm not sure if, and of course, I know what dogging it means now, 
But back in those days, that was the term for not going to school. It was the term for getting dressed in your uniform, leaving your house, making your parents think you were going to school, but actually you weren't going to school at all. You were going to be out with your pals into the tune or you were hanging around the park. or You could be doing anything, but you certainly weren't going to school. So when I say dogging it, that <laughs> that is what I mean. I don't know if that's still, still what it's called, but that is what it was called then anyway. So I was trying to align myself with these other children who were the ones who were always getting the strap. I don't, do you know what the strap is? I mean, I, maybe, maybe you don't. Back in the day, if you were naughty at school, you had to put your two hands out like that. I don't know if you can see that. Your two hands out like that. Down came the strap on you. It's a massive big piece of leather about this size um, with little kind of, uh, and at the bottom of it was cut into to various sections. Um, and the minimum you would get would be, I think, two. So... Be, try to be hard, you know, you would just, when you got your two straps, you would just kind of go like that as if it meant nothing. It was fucking sore, by the way, absolutely sore. So I was now in this group, and that group were also the, the, the children who were getting lines. So they were getting lines like, teacher would say, you do a hundred lines of I must behave in class. So that meant, remember back in these days, there was no computers, there was no social media, you know, there was no internet, there was nothing. It was pencils and pieces of paper that we used. So you had to write out a hundred times, I must behave in class. So we had, we would then have other lines that were given to us because we hadn't done the first lines. So... <laughs> This this was uh, this was the new life. This was the new life for me. And my report card was shocking, certainly by comparison to how well I had been doing at primary school. This was a bit of a cause for concern. I was done with all that shit. So my mum and dad were getting called up to the school regularly to be told about my new escapades and to be told by some of the teachers that I was so disruptive that I was unteachable. So they were worried and they were worried about their, my attitude towards them because they had no idea why I had changed so much. And of course, they were raging at me for letting the side down. My mum used to say to me, you have got the devil in you. Couldn't care less. So... Their life wasn't great and they were trying to think how in God's name are we going to get control of this situation. And then they found out I had been dogging it for months. Remember my explanation of dogging it? That's what I mean. Um, no homework was getting done and that was it. Grounded, door locked, no escape. But honestly, by that point, there was nothing that they could do to control me to change anything because the path was set. There was nothing about me that could be altered at that point. I was like a runaway train. I was fueled by the hatred I had for both of them and I was determined to get my revenge. When I did get out, not grounded, at, mostly at the weekends, 
my life was way more exciting. I swapped my school uniform for hippie attire. Remember, this was the late 60s. And I joined my lovely, gentle giant of a boyfriend, Brian, selling drugs in Sucky Hall Street, just down from the Maryland Club. That was the place to go if you were a Glasgow hippie. This was a life for me. Taking risks, a wee bit of danger, me being the lookout for the polis, and watching what Brian did so I could get involved. And here was our incentive. Sell five, get one free. So Brian had a lot of regulars and we would always start off at the state bar. That was just off Sucky Hall Street as well. So at the beginning, uh, the doorman would say to Brian, my boyfriend, who's that lassie you're with? Oh, that's my girlfriend, he would say. Let her in, she's no bother. I bet she looks a bit young. He would say, honest, it'll be fine. He says, I will get up the back where don't let her be seen. So that was that I was in. So we would deal the regulars first. Brian's regulars first, and then we would sit down and have a couple of a couple of babies. But Brian would always say, "Don't drink too much, Christine." When we know we're just about to partake, uh, because it's not good to have both. So drinking at that time wasn't a huge thing; it was just part of the social thing. And for me, you know, at fourteen, just being in a pub and looking at all these grown-ups, and you know, just being inside this vibe was very exciting for me. So, of course, changing the subject a wee bit, of course, I had had a taste or two of alcohol, which I loved from the very first sip. Well, not loved, but I loved the taste. I loved the, the effect if you drank a wee bit too much. My parents loved a party and often they had them in their house They'd invite the same group of friends all the time because my parents never really had a drink. They just, uh, not not unless there was a do going on. So I was always at these parties and I would fire a wee gin into my diluting orange juice when nobody was looking. So I also looked forward to these wee do's in the gold room. Now, if you haven't listened to episode one, and why is that? I'm only kidding. No, no. If you haven't listened to episode one where I described the gold room, well, I'll have to do it again. So the gold room was my parents' room that was kept uh, solely for uh, visitors. And it was gold. So there was gold rugs, there was gold furniture, there was gold curtains and there was gold wallpaper. Um, and it was kept pristine all the time. And when we, when people went in, plastic was put over all the sofas. And there was a key and the, the the door had a lock with a key and none of us, my brother and I, we weren't allowed in it. It was adults only and it was always to be kept nice. But what I began to realise was if I was grounded, which was fairly regular my, and my parents had to go out, I would find the key for the gold room, which had its own cocktail bar, and I would go wire into some of the 
white spirit, so a wee bit of vodka, a wee bit of gin, tan that, take that, had a, had made up my own wee cargo and took it up to my room and just drank a lot until I passed out. Of course, I made sure I filled up the white uh, spirit bottles so, with water so that I never, uh, I never got caught. So being grounded when they were going out started to take on a new meaning for me. And I wasn't that bothered anymore. But the weekends were what really kept me going. Brian was a lovely guy. He was so gentle, but he was high nearly all the time. And when I think back, our relationship was actually quite childlike. We um, we had sort of kisses and cuddles, and I would say, I'm, I'm not going, I'm too young, I'm not going any further than that. And Brian was absolutely fine about that and never... Never said anything. He was he was a quiet guy, and I, I think he was quite a good influence on me, um, in terms of his temperament and how he looked at life. And he kind of calmed me down quite a bit because he was seventeen, so he was a good bit older than me, and he was working. So you know, we lived in quite a different world for me. Um, and he did, he, he did have a really good influence on me. And getting high with him was a great temporary escape from from my reality, if you like. But my mum and dad were worried about me and they were worried about these grades at school and they were concerned about what kind of job I would be able to get, if, if at all. And often I would be subject to the talk. You're ruining your life. Your chances of a good job are disappearing. You need to wake up and smell the coffee. That was my mum's favourite. The next steps are in your hands. You're throwing your life away. Of course, they were right. But I just rolled my eyes. I couldn't give a flying fuck. And I wasn't going to listen to any of their lectures. They were hoping against hope that if I got a job, I might start behaving more reasonably. And my mum was on the case. She was scouring the jobs, sorry, sections in the evening times and phoning every reputable, <coughs> every reputable company in Glasgow looking for an office junior vacancy for me because that is what all I was going to be able to get. Me, I wanted to be a beauty consultant. I wanted to be selling makeup in Lewis's, but I wasn't making any effort to find a job. And I was, I must admit, beginning to wind down some of my hate for my parents that had consumed me. I kind of just resigned myself to them and just went, I just went on with it. I couldn't care less. I was making no effort even to look for the kind of job that I wanted. My only thought was finally leaving school and ditching that fucking school uniform and I couldn't see past that day. But my mum was, was busy. She was working on step two, getting the job. And lo and behold, I got an interview in an office at the bottom of West Nile Street. Office junior? Sounded simple. 
repetitive. And I'd be earning money. Freedom. So I started work on my 15th birthday. Yes, the job was boring. But it was quite social, which I quite liked. When you think about these days, this is what? Well, this is the very, very early 70s. There was no computers. There was no internet. So there was no emails. So a lot of my job was taking handwritten messages from that person to this person in this huge big office. So I did get to know people quite quite quickly. But if I wasn't doing that, I was just filing all day long. So the people were posh in there, you know, they were from Bear's Den, Newton Mearns, boring and predictable. And socially, I wasn't really doing much at that time either. I hadn't realised this, but by the time I paid my mum the dig money, paid for my bus fares in and out to work, my lunches, there really wasn't that much money left. But I must say, this job tamed me. It was, it, it was good for me in many ways. I had to become mature, leave that kind of schoolgirl uh, mentality behind me. And it did calm me down. And I had fallen out with Brian, so the drugs thing was gone now. And I was, I was trying, I was trying to do a good job. But after a year, when I saw an advert for a trainee beauty consultant with a company called Outdoor Girl, which at the time was a well-known budget cosmetic company, very popular at the time, I was desperate to get it. I went for the interview, didn't tell my parents, and a few days later, I got the job. I was over the moon, wages not good at all, but there was commission. So I was chomping at the bit and felt this was my calling. My life had changed. I'd finally stopped being a schoolgirl and I did start to grow up a wee bit. I think if I was honest, I would say I felt estranged from my mum and dad. But they just didn't mean anything to me now. They, they, they held no space in my head whatsoever. I just resigned myself to being on the outside looking in. The weekend drinking in my room, that had stopped too. I'm just staying at home watching the telly. So now my brain was starting to clear. There was no drugs, there was no drink. And there had been a real breakthrough because in my work, I was able to talk to some of the older women about my periods. I was now wearing a bra. So... The, the times of secrets and not being able to tell people things were over. There was no more hiding. And I'd, I, I felt better. I'd probably say I felt lighter. That's the best way to describe it. My mum and dad weren't happy about me leaving this good office job with good prospects. But I was determined. So I started work behind the counter at Outdoor Girl and Lewis's couldn't believe my luck. And on the first day, one of the beauty consultants walked in the side door. So we weren't allowed to use the side door. We had to use the staff door, but she was late. So she came scurrying in 
she didn't have her school uniform on. She didn't have school uniform, sorry. She didn't have her uniform on. So she was trying to head straight for the staff room and hope that a manager wouldn't see her. And she caught the eye of her colleague and she said, oh, fuck, what a night I had last night. And I've got such a hangover, raging hangover. Her colleague says, it's all right. Don't worry, I've got you covered. The way you go and get ready. These women were super glamorous, hardworking and loyal. I had landed in the perfect place for me. And that conversation confirmed that. I was right to be excited for what was to come. So to find out what was to come, please join me next time. Thanks for your company today. Look forward to seeing you soon.